Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Jonathan Courant is a jazz vocalist who has been described as a storyteller, an interpreter, a singer who brings music and lyric alive. His album, On and On, hit number four on the jazz charts and features a great array of jazz standards. Jonathan was voted Best Singer in 2015 for the Bravo San Diego Awards and was also honored in the 2014 New York City Jazz Cabaret Honors. He was also named one of the top 12 rising jazz vocalists by Downbeat. Jonathan's most recent album, released in May of 2021, is titled Shadows Fall. It is a collaboration between Jonathan and pianist Joshua White. The 13-track album is a collection of classic standards, but also features more contemporary songs not typically heard in the jazz genre. Jonathan Courant, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. How's your day going so far? I'm doing just fine. All right. So, of course, we're going to talk about your more, most recent album. Um, but I want to start by talking about how you got started. Um, you are from, you're from Arkansas. Is that correct? That's right. Fort Smith, Arkansas. Fort Smith, Arkansas. Now, I read somewhere that your mother told you that you were basically singing practically out of the womb. Right. Yes. I, she says that as a you know young toddler or something that when I heard music, I would stop and kind of beat along with it or was really attracted to sound. So yeah, that's right. That's so cool. And and your mom was your mom was a dancer, right? That, that's correct. Yes, yeah, she owned a dance store, and um, she was part of the uh, company there in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and a teacher, also an artist. Uh, she uh, oil oils were her oils on canvas were her medium, and then she also was a, a teacher. So she was. Um, very involved in the arts growing up and wow. turned me on to a lot of music that, um, you, you know, being in dance, a lot of classical things and jazz things that I might not have heard. And she loved people like uh, Joe Beam and she liked the Brazil 66 a lot. So um, great foundation of music there. Wow, that's fantastic. So a lot of music on your mom's side. How about your dad? Is your dad musical as well? He likes um, things like, he, growing up, he listened to a lot of Motown in the car or Solid Gold Oldies or Elvis. So that was groovy too. I enjoyed all that too. Yes. Okay. So and then my grandparents also uh, kind of turned me on to a lot of just the American songbook through either musicals that they would listen to or Tony Bennett or, or things like that. Wow. So you got a wide array of music from your mom, your dad, your, your grandfather. Yes. Yeah. And I really enjoyed all of it. That's great. All right. So at seven years old, something happens in Eureka Springs. Somehow 
somehow you go into a nightclub, right, when you're like seven years old and jump up on stage with the band to sing. Is that, tell me about how that happened. I can, yeah, I can still picture it actually. Um, we were, we would go to Eureka Springs for dance competitions. So I would, my sister was a dancer as well as my mother. So I would go along with them and uh, hang out. And um, the, in the evening, you know, a lot of some of the older dancers uh, would go out. And of course, one of them being my mother. And uh, she took me to a little jazz blues bar and I jumped up on stage uh, and I think I sang a Bobby Blue Bland song called Stormy Monday Blues, which, you know, as a kid, you don't really know how to sing the blues, but (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed being on stage. And I I think that the uh, band, as well as the audience, got a kick out of this little kid uh, up there singing the blues. (laughs) (laughs) And and you remember that? You remember being on stage and singing that? I can remember what the room looked like. Yeah, totally. Wow, Wow, that's so cool. Um, At that point in your life, did you have any idea that that's what you wanted to do? That's that's what you wanted to be? Definitely. I think maybe age five or six, I realized, or maybe I didn't realize or or know what I was really thinking about, but I did realize I wanted a um, career in show business. Nice. Okay. So you end up, you end up doing some local theater, right? Around, around your hometown. Is that correct? Yes. I did a lot of local theater, some local commercials and, um, unsolved mysteries came to do something. Uh, and I auditioned for that and, and got a role on that show or oh, whatever on the TV it was. show. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Oh, cool. <laughs> they shot me for seven hours and they showed like, you know, seconds. So I quickly uh, got to understand how TV uh, works and editing works. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what, did, what, uh, what character were you doing? Were you playing? My name was Jimmy Jones and it was for the Tony Lamo Invex- investigation. He was an evangel- evangel templist or what is that what they call him? Evangelical. And he, yeah. And he had stole a lot of money and fled the country. <laughs> wow. Okay. Not very Christian. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> the opposite of that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. But that was a unique experience um, for you. And then, and then did you do some musical theater as well? Yes, I did. And in that, you know, again, a lot of the jazz standards are taken from older film and musicals so it again it turned me on to the whole like american songbook kind of music doing theater interesting you know i was going to ask you about that um clearly you have you have a love of jazz you have a love of of the that classic american songbook um what made you decide like i want to be a jazz singer this is what i want to do as opposed to going in another direction become a you know, a pop singer or a rock singer or R&B singer or, you know, what have you. Right. I mean, I tell people a lot of the times that the music picked me because um, in a way it did. I mean, it just feeds my soul. It makes me feel good. It. I like the depth that it has, the sophistication that it has. Um, 
the intelligence and the intent is really strong in the jazz world. So, it, you know, it's not cheap. It's not thrown thrown away. It's not bubblegum type of stuff. So I think I like the value of it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love that. So there was a point where you were actually hired by the Metropolitan Opera House uh, to do some roles. You, tell, tell me about that. Well, right out of high school, I had been accepted to the William Esper Performing Arts Academy in New York. So from Arkansas to New York, I went, and I really jumped into the culture of the city. I wasn't afraid at all. I really just loved being there. And a friend of mine um, got me an audition at the Met, and they hired me to start performing, um, you know, as an extra character acting, movement. Um, again, I, I'm not a dancer, but with my mother's background and hanging out at the studio a lot, I got, you know, I obviously picked up some movement and things like that. So I started with doing parts with the America theater ballet, and then did things with the Metropolitan Opera. How much, how much did you learn from that experience? You know, I, really what I think I took away most from it was, again, coming from a small town doing small works, to be on a stage that's that, you know, huge, and then all the, just the professional side of it, how it's, it really worked as a business, um, you know, just the grandness of it all and the professional side of it all. And who were some of the featured performers that you had a chance to to see and, and maybe meet and, and, and work alongside? Well, the biggest name was uh, a little guy named Pavarotti. <laughs> <laughs> little known name there, yeah. Right. Wow. That, that must have been quite uh, a special performance. Yes, it was. And again, you know, being thrown into such world-class, you know, and high-class uh, situations were was a really great learning experience. For those of us who haven't really been in the opera world, um, is this someone in, that was in your position? You know, how many people are invited to be in character roles for a season or whatever. Is that something that happens on a regular basis? You know, I don't really know if, how regular it is. They they later called me for more roles. I think they have a roster that they end up using um, with people that they like working with and that are, you know, responsible and all that kind of stuff. And right. I was, I had, was not in New York at the time, so I couldn't take the parts, but. Um, well, you, so you did well enough that they called you back. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's go back a little bit. You talked about uh, you were accepted to the, was it the William Esper? Yes, William uh, Esper. William Esper uh, Academy, I think it's called. Uh, yes. And so tell me about what you studied there. You know, and how obviously you had to what audition or you had to be, you have to be invited, you have to be accepted into this. It's kind of a prestigious school. Correct. Yes. The teacher, uh, we all decided she was psychic or, or something. It was interesting. <laughs> the material she would pick for us always somehow chimed into our uh, own lives. Her intuition 
was pretty extraordinary. It was very strict. Um, mostly what I studied there was acting and being in the moment. So that really helped me along with the type of songs that I I sing because they are like little mini movies or stories. So it really helps me. I helped me, I think, get into character for for a song, you know. Oh, that's great. So it was all about performance, really, right? Yes. And being in the moment and, and really, you know, trying to feel what you're projecting, not just going through the motions or, or stating lyrics or script, you know, it's not just dialogue, it's really embodying it. And when I approach a song, you know, even though I didn't write it, I really take it as if this is mine and I'm telling you how it pertains to me and really trying to get the feeling of and meaning of a song across is really the most important thing to me rather than how many you know riffs or runs or how I can change the melody or manipulate the time or or whatever which I enjoy doing all those things but my my first goal is to really take you somewhere and and make you feel something wonderful wonderful so how does somebody get to that point obviously you study technique and form and of course there's practice there's the acting part of it there's the um creative part of it there's the vocal technique that i'm i'm sure you studied years and years at what point does that all merge and how, how does that process happen? You know, if you're working on a song, let's say you, you haven't really performed a song before, but man, I love this song, I wanna do it. You know, what's the process for you? Well, Charlie Parker always, what, what he said, um, practice, practice, practice. Then when you hit the stage, throw it all away and just blow. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, yes, I, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of research on my own. I've practiced, I've, I've studied different, um, music techniques and warm-ups um, and but really you know and I've li listened with big ears you know on the road to finding my own voice besides just teachers in a classroom some of my teachers were you know Frank Sinatra, Carmen McRae, Mel Torme, Nancy Wilson so listening with big ears and, and deciding what what kind of style and voice and, and choices you want to make you know, that comes with time. I think what I've learned the most has just been on stage night after night, just doing it. I think that's been my greatest classroom is the stage. Um, so now I think hitting the stage with a new song, um, it's so second nature to me now that I can easily put another song into my repertoire. And, and also in the jazz realm, you know, sometimes I'll hit the stage and, and do a new song. And then I'll realize after doing it a couple of times, mm, that's not working like that. Maybe I'll try it like this, you know, but it's, it can be improvisational, which allows you to kind of take chances and try things out. Yeah. You have a lot of freedom. You have a lot of Correct. freedom, right? If you're feeling something, you can just go with it. Right. Um, so speaking of teachers, you have studied with a variety of very prestigious um, people. Um, Kurt Elling, 
uh, Seth Riggs. Um, can you talk about a couple of those and what were some of the the biggest things that you took away from studying with those people? All right. Well, I started with Seth Riggs, younger, and he really teaches almost like yoga for your vocal cords. And just so the audience knows, Seth Riggs is one of the most famous vocal coaches of all time, correct? Yes. I mean, he's worked with Michael Jackson, Barbara Streisand, the list goes on. Yeah. And he really, it's, you know, more about enunciation and being able to hit notes on pitch and move through a scale with ease and correction, you know. Then with uh, Kurt Elling, he taught me more probably about, you know, technique, phrasing, timing, um, and maybe like improvisational things. Mm. And then... Around the same time I worked with him, I worked with Marilyn May, who kind of taught the opposite. She taught more ab about like the audience connection that to make, um, you know, really connecting with your audience and really kind of, again, with phrasing, like where to put commas, perhaps, <laughs> when you're telling a story, and maybe more of the art of performance, okay, stage presence, things like that. So you got different Which, different bits of things from all, from everyone, right? And it is show business, so you know it, all those things uh, tie in together and help me hit the stage today. Yeah, well, connecting with an audience is not something I think that comes naturally to everyone. I think that's a it's a whole separate art form that one has. Speaking of live performance versus singing in the studio, do you have a preference? Well, I definitely prefer live performance. It's more, you have the energy that you're creating. Uh, you, I feel like you can take more chances when you're on stage because it's not being recorded. <laughs> so if something gets flubbed up a little bit, well, that's okay. Just move on. But I will tell you, the last time I was in the studio, and don't get me wrong, I love being in the studio, but the last time I was in the studio, I brought an entourage with me one of the days and I realized that we seemed to perform more than if it was just the musicians and, and myself. So I think moving forward, I like having people in there to kind of create energy and, and then you feel like someone's listening and that you, you know, really need to perform it. Sometimes it's hard to find that um, inspiration when you're just in there alone, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you brought people in that weren't musicians, they weren't part of the recording process, they weren't the engineers, they were just people there to listen to you. Right. Yeah, and I really I really liked the energy that, that that brought. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was just talking to somebody else about that, and they said the same, uh, they said the same exact thing. Um, because then you kind of get that back and forth. You're performing to somebody instead of closed up into your headphones by yourself, right? Correct. Yeah. And I was a little worried at first, like, oh, is that going to be distracting? But no, it wasn't. I, you know, I mean, they were having champagne and whatever and just hanging out and enjoying the experience. You know, a lot of people who have never been in a music studio they don't understand the process you know i think a lot of them appreciated 
getting to see a little insight into into my world in the studio. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think people would, would enjoy that a lot. Um, so I know you did a lot of work and you still do a lot of work in San Diego. How did you go from uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas to San Diego? Well, first stop was New York from Arkansas. Okay, that's right. Then I went, yeah, then I went home, had a little rethink. And a college professor, while I was in Arkansas, said, you should be in Vegas. So I moved here, but I didn't, wasn't feeling it that first uh, year I was here. And when I visited was that? A what, year, what year did you move to Vegas first? It was during the recession. So what would that have been? Yeah, so 2006, 7, 8, somewhere around there, 8 or 9 probably, 2010. Yeah, I think it was around... Yeah, I think it was around 2009, maybe. Yep. yep, got it. And so things were not maybe happening as regularly, you know, here. So that's right. I wasn't finding it to be like the best fit for me during that time. And I visited a friend in San Diego, loved the music scene there, and moved there for about six years and then came came back here. And in the meantime, I still came back here quite often. So I was keeping ties here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being in, in San Diego, I was able to go to L.A. a lot. I was also spending more time in New York again. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I did the trip around. And yes, I, I still go back to, to uh, the, anywhere on the coast of California, actually. Uh, about once a month to perform. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you'll go where where the gigs will take you, right? Right, that's right. How did you hook up with Joshua White? How did that collaboration happen, and what was the inspiration for for Shadows Fall? We met in San Diego, and we started working at a beautiful hotel in La Jolla called La Valencia, and then I started working at a at a place downtown in San Diego called the West, it's the Westgate Hotel, but they have a beautiful music room in there that is a real, like, kind of European listening room. And I started hiring Joshua more and more uh, because audiences would, their feedback about the two of us was, oh my gosh, the two of you have this musical synergy, there's always magic that happens when it's the two of you. And then when I moved here, we continued to have a date somewhere about once a month because I would always hire him when I was going back there to play what whether it was you know Long Beach or mm-hmm. Palm Springs or wherever it might be so we stayed connected and I continued to get that kind of feedback so I said to him we should capitalize on this why don't we do kind of in the vein of the Tony Bennett and Bill Evans albums why don't we do a uh, duo album piano vocal and he said let's do it and I think we both uh, respect the material. We both share a lot of um, interests in common as far as material, picking material. We share tastes in a way. And um, we listen to each other and respect each other. And his playing, you know, is so unique and playful and he kind of stirs things up. Mm. And I think we both end up taking each other uh, maybe different places 
and he kind of, you know, he makes, I think he makes listeners ears kind of perk up and go, Hey, what was that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's obviously a, a great chemistry between the two of you. Um, and obviously you, you feed off of each other well, musically. So that's a great combination. Uh, and you have some, you have a couple of, you know, surprising, uh, songs on that album. You know, you do, uh, James Taylor, your smiling face, which is one of my favorite songs, but you do, you guys, you do completely your own version of that, which is fantastic. You do, uh, simply the best, you know, made famous by Tina Turner. But again, you make it completely your own. It's kind of a bit of a different time signature. And so, uh, yeah, everybody should really check, check out, check out that album. It's, it's really special. So thank you. Yeah, it was a sweet project. And when we were rehearsing for it, I, I said, well, your friend of mine keeps talking about this song, simply the best Tina Turner song. I, I knew the song. And, uh, I said to him, what if we did it as a jazz waltz? And he immediately started playing that beautiful line. <laughs> and so, yeah, a lot of people are kind of surprised at that. And is that, uh, in general, with the two of you, once you had kind of picked the repertoire, uh, was it just kind of the two of you sitting down and kind of figuring out, how should we go about this? Or you had an idea or he had an idea. How did sort of each song come together? Yeah, he would. We we had a couple rehearsals, and then also th some things took different life once we got into the studio than we had planned. But you know, he brought a, a few songs to me. I brought songs, and he would bring suggestions. I would bring suggestions. So, really, not only when collaborating collaborating with just one person, but anytime in the studio, you know, I always want you know the, the musicians that I pick to work with. Are musicians that I respect and obviously feel are very talented. So I always want it to feel like a collaboration. I don't really want it to feel like I'm just calling all the shots. I want their input. You know, we're making music together. It's a very intimate thing. You know, so I always want to them to, to voice their opinions. Mm -hmm. And if we all, you know, agree, then yeah, let's let's do it. That's great. You you want to have everybody you know, kind of on the same page when you're doing right. something, right? And give everybody a little bit of input so everybody feels everybody feels like, you know, hey, we're all we're all in this together. Right. And and let everybody have a chance to voice their creativities. Yeah. Uh, that's beautiful. Hey, that's the beautiful thing about music is uh everyone gets to be creative. Um sp okay, speaking of creativity, where this is might be a, a little bit of a tough question, but where do you think creativity actually comes from? Is it something that's inherently inside people? Does it come from somewhere somewhere outside of people? Um, you know, where does creativity come from? Where does it live? Right. Well, I mean, coming from inside of you or from within, yes, you know, because it's what you, you're feeling strong about, what you're passionate about, you know, what you're wanting to to uh, say to the world. But I, I also get really inspired by travel, uh, um, seeing other cultures, seeing other cities. I get inspired by art, visual art. I get inspired by different poetry that I hear. I get inspired by other musicians, other singers. So that really helps me 
you know, being in New York, I always feel like I, I can go there and get my battery charged because mm. there's so much culture and art and music happening of all different kinds. So anytime I'm in New York for a performance, I always stay a few extra days so I can run around and absorb some things in the city. Yeah, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So part comes from within and then parts you may absorb from inspiration around you. Yeah, I mean, that's how it is for me, at least. Yeah, that's great. I love that. All right, you mentioned Frank Sinatra. You mentioned Tony Bennett. Of course, two of the greats. There's so many, been so many great jazz singers through through the years. Who are your favorites? Who are your, like, absolute heroes? Who did you hear and go, oh, oh, I want to sing like that? Probably... Mel Torme and Nancy Wilson, really. I mean, Nancy, what I, and I was fortunate enough to meet her and, mm -hmm. and work with her trio a few times, or several times. Um, I took away from her probably storytelling and uh, dynamics. And with Mel, I think I took away a certain playfulness, playing with time, playing with melody. You know, he wrote the Christmas song. Yeah, right. Yeah, he wrote all the arrangements for the Judy Garland show. So he was really clever at coming up with these different ideas. And he was a one heck of a scat singer, too. Yes. I mean, I think when it comes to scat singing, he and Ella Fitzgerald are like... Louis Armstrong may have invented it, but the two of them really perfected it. I, I don't think anybody to this day can match the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Pretty incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. You met and I think got a chance to work with uh, the great Vince Falcone at one point. Yes, I did. That was that first time around here in Las Vegas uh, during uh, around 2009 or 10. And uh, uh, T-Bone, who owned a studio called Sunsong Studios at yep. that time, yep. he, he introduced me to uh, Vince, and Vince was great. He was like a papa, kind of, in a way. Uh, I would come with ideas, and he would say, well, maybe, or, well, let's try it like this, or, oh, I like that one. So it was, it was great to... Um, to work with him and, and uh, especially where he had come from to be, you know, in the studio with him. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great. Vince Falcone, uh, in case our listeners don't know, um, is a legendary uh, conductor and, and pianist who worked with Frank Sinatra. I mean, among many others, but he worked with Frank Sinatra conducting uh, for many, many years and uh, actually is the piano player on Frank Sinatra's uh, rendition of New York, New York, which is pretty yes. iconic. And, and I've gotten to meet Vince. I ha had the chance to meet him many times over the years because I, I, know I get to work with uh, his son, Danny, quite, quite often here in town. Um, oh, that's great. So Danny has so many great stories about, about his dad. Vince will be sorely missed for sure. R.I.P. Right. How did you, how did you deal with the 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 forced hiatus, which which COVID brought upon all of us? What did you do with right. yourself? I, obviously, you recorded Shadows Fall, 
Uh, Actually, Shadows Fall came before uh, the pandemic. I was getting geared up to release it. And then the pandemic happened and I thought, no, maybe not. <laughs> you know, maybe this isn't the best time to release a full album. Mm, it was that because you wanted to be able to release it and then go perform and promote it at the same time? Yes. Okay. I mean, really, when you release a new project, you're able to tour with it and and it gives an audience that maybe has seen you several times an incentive to to come out and see you again because they know it's going to be something different, right? which I do anyway. I mean, I don't, I hardly ever do the same set list twice. So it really is always going to be a different show mm -hmm. with me, but it really gives, you know, something new to focus on and to uh, promote. You're also documenting kind of where you are in your musical journey with an album. So I, I didn't want to release it and then not have anywhere to go with it. So I waited for that. But in the meantime, I was lucky enough to get in the studio in 2020 and record a dozen new tracks, uh, a different, different, you know, totally different project. And I did release two singles in 2020. I, I released a single of Etta James's I'd Rather Go Blind. We did kind of a soul jazz take on that. Okay. And then we recorded... Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Oh, great, great, great. <laughs> and we were the first ones to do a vocal jazz arrangement of it. Oh, cool. So I really love it because it totally takes it into a, a, like a echo of Ella Fitzgerald or, or a Frank Sinatra kind of classic Christmas kind of feel. But then I recorded a whole another album. So I'm probably going to release it in February of 2022. Great. You're, you're forward thinking. That's fantastic. Right. And now I'm happy that you know, I just returned from a sold out show in San Diego. I had a sold out show in Palm Springs the month before. I've, I've been getting more and more bookings here in Vegas. Uh, and I've seen that the audiences come out like they're coming to a reunion. I mean, <laughs> you can look at a device all you want and watch and watch YouTube videos and, you know, to do live streams and whatever. But there's nothing like the connection that you get with live performance. The audience and the music makers on stage or the actors on stage, whatever it is, together you create a really unique and special, valuable, I think, uh, energy that is, you know, can't be, uh, can't be made when you're staring at your iPad or something. That's very true. I agree with that 100%. Nothing like live performance in the room. Yeah, I agree. So I know you you perform with different different combos. Obviously, you've done gigs just with you and a, and a piano player. You've done gigs with trio, quartet. Um, I imagine you've done gigs with, you know, you could, you could do a whole big band. Do you have a preference as to what you prefer to perform with? Yeah, my favorite sound is probably a quartet or quintet. I like the more organic um, sound of it when it's a smaller, smaller band like that rather than a big band. I, not that I don't love a big band sound. I do. It's fun and swinging. I guess I find fine when it's, you know, quartet or quintet 
you, there's also more freedom that can happen. And for me, it sounds more contemporary and reflective of my time. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. I mean, if you're, if you're standing in front of a big band and everybody has, they're kind of locked into their charts, right? You, you can't stray as much as if you're, you're in a quartet or a quintet, you can take things where you want to go and they'll follow you basically. Right. Right. I mean, when you're with a big band or a symphony, it's phenomenal to have that kind of energy behind you. Mm -hmm. And you really don't have to work too much either. I mean, (laughs) because there's so much more going on. Right. So, but yeah, you're pretty much locked into that arrangement. And there's, you know, if you took, changed anything too much, you know, you've got so many people behind you, how would they all follow all that? Right. So, Jonathan, you have obviously a huge career ahead of you. I mean, many, 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 many years uh, into the future. God willing, you'll be doing what you're doing. So what's next in the immediate future? Obviously, you're going to be releasing albums. You're doing shows. Any big goals on the horizon or, or like you're just moving your career in that direction? Well, I mean, I yeah, I have goals that different things that I'm working on, different projects I'm working on, different shows, show concepts that I'm working on. Uh, but in the you know near future, uh, I guess I'll be just focused on wrapping up this album to, to get it you know ready to release early uh, next year and working on, you know, I'm booking more and more things now. I'll be traveling more again uh, here in Las Vegas. I'll be at Notoriety downtown. We're doing a Sunday fun day jazz set on August 22nd at 2 p.m. So that'll be like a fun day. That's a nice room down there too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it'll be nice to, I have not, I've only done a variety show in that space. So it'd be fun to, to do my own thing there. Yeah, just moving forward, you know, with, with where I'm aiming to be. That's great. <laughs> and you said I'm, I've got a long career in front of me, which is probably true. My grandparents all lived well into their 90s, so I'm probably going to have to sing a long time. <laughs> hey, let's that that is that's the plan. I mean, geez, Tony Bennett still going right? So right. I mean, sing as long as you possibly can. Jonathan, let people know where they can find you and uh, interact with you. I'm assuming you're, you're, you know, tell them where your website is. And I'm sure I'm assuming you're on Facebook and Instagram and all those great places. Right. Yes. Well, my website is jonathancurrant.com and that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-K-A-R-R-A-N-T. You can also find me on all the social media platforms and all the uh, digital music platforms. Oh, fantastic. So, so Spotify and Apple Music, and um, are your albums available on CD as well, or vinyl or anything like that, tangible? Yes, they are. On Amazon, I believe you can find hard copies. Great. Okay. Um, well, I, I just want to say you're, you're an amazing talent, and, you know, in this day and age, it's, it's kind of refreshing uh, to see, you know, someone take up a career as a jazz singer, you know, usually a young performer kind of wants to maybe go into pop or rock or I think it's a little bit different 
uh, of a career path, and it's it's very refreshing. So I really just want to tell our audience, check out Jonathan's music. It's it's really fantastic. You're gonna love it. Buy his CDs. You know, stream his music on Spotify. Go go check him out on YouTube, and then go to some shows. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, definitely. All right. Have yourself a great day. You too. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>